welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of July 15th. 2018. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to get into this week's podcast. And I will admit to you, this has probably been the most difficult challenge of trying to bring faith and science together. But I think it will be an interesting discussion this week. It'll be a little bit different, but I'm really excited to get into this. But before we do, I want to do my shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, they have great commentaries, a great Sermon Brainways podcast to kind of get some different ideas going, generating Plus, great discussion. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. So, this week, part of what made it so difficult is we kind of have a big transition that's going on. And we'll get into that as we talk about the scriptures. And I think it kind of becomes apparent. So, the gospel reading is out of Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. And I would argue, if you are looking at this text and thinking about this text, realize this comes directly after what we had last week. So last week, as a reminder, we have Jesus going to his hometown. He then is not being able to perform the miracles that he has other places. People are questioning, who is this man? Why does he suddenly think he has all these abilities? He then tells his disciples to go two by two to go and share the message, and they perform miracles. What we then have after this is the story of King Herod, how he was a little bit unsure of what he thought of John the Baptist, but was intrigued by him. His wife, Herodias, is not a big fan of him. He has a party, has a very weird scene with having his daughter dance and for this party and asks her whatever she wants she'll get she doesn't know she goes and talks to her mother her mother says how about john the baptizer's head she comes in says yeah i want john the baptizer's head on a platter the king because he's in front of everybody goes and does this the disciples of john the baptizer then lay his body the rest of his body in a tomb Weird, interesting story, but I think it's very important to realize that this is coming right after that. So if we think about this, if this is chronological, which I would assume it is coming out of Mark, we have a couple things here. One, he's giving us the detail of one that Herod was interested. He would listen to him. He didn't know what to think, but he would listen to and contemplate what was he saying. Key detail. So Herod has some type of at least appreciation for him. The second thing is, if we think about it, as Jesus' disciples then have gone out and are going and doing this ministry, this is then when John the baptizer is killed. So they most likely don't know that this has happened. So I think that's a key point. We have a big transition in what is going on with the faith And the disciples don't know about it instantly. The times that we wonder, is Twitter really a good thing? Our first reading then is out of Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 15. And this is an interesting reading to me. I had to kind of go and do a little bit of background. But Amos is just a typical farmer. And he's being told that God has this plan, this thing that he's trying to do. He then, by Armarza, I'm probably saying that wrong, is kind of discrediting what he is being told. And Amos then stands up and says, the Lord has told me this. 
this is what we need to do. This basic summary of what we have in Amos chapter 7. The alternative first reading is from 2 Samuel. Make sure it's 2 Samuel chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 and 12b through 19. The reason I say make sure it's 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel is also on the Ark of the Covenant. What is this reading? The reading is David moving the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And the verses that we get, again, are just the process of this happening and then especially starting in verse 12b through 19, the celebration that comes out of this. If you are preaching on this, I would recommend or consider looking at verses 6 through 12a because that to me is just as important. Because one, as being a typical person who is not an ordained minister, we don't know this story as well. But two, I think it starts to show us a side of God that we don't think about a ton. And what happens is God has, coming out of actually 1 Samuel chapter 6, these very distinct instructions on this is how the Ark of the Covenant will be transferred, will be moved to a new area. And what happens starting in verse 6 is that doesn't happen. So God strikes the man dead right there on the spot. So with that all happening, we get this cool verse of David actually saying he was fearing God that day. Don't hear that very often. And then it's a three-year process. And then God finally comes to David and says, now is the time to finish this. So again, kind of this unique, weird section to kind of go through. We'll get into it. The psalm this week is Psalm 85 verses 8 through 13. Again, this is much more of the Lord will provide type of psalm. Put your trust in the Lord. The Lord will provide. He is there. He will take care of things. And I think that's where, for me, is kind of the root of what all this is. The second reading is the first week out of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14. Talking about how Christ is the blessing. He is there to help us through these times. He has insight. He will pour into us. We just, again, need to give our trust to him. That he has marked us with the Holy Spirit. He has given us all these gifts. Essentially, we need to tap into them. So where are you going with it this week? And as you can kind of see, it's a much harder topic to really bring something in scientifically. So to kind of give you a little bit of background on kind of how I approach these types of things, I try figuring out what is the topic, what is the main idea that's being brought through all the readings. That's one of the big things I strive to do when I'm trying to figure out how to then to bring in a science context. And what made this week very difficult and why I make such an emphasis, especially on the alternative first reading with Samuel from 2 Samuel is we are seeing the character of God through the eyes that he has a plan and that his plan will prevail. Very hard to talk about in science. And the best thing I can provide to you as I was kind of going through stuff, and it was just some comment I found in a in a YouTube video, but I would agree with from a science perspective. The best words that can be said in a scientific lab is not Eureka. Eureka shows that, okay, great, it was exactly how I wanted it, 
and it happened just the way I wanted it, and yes, we did it. Eureka. The best words that can be spoken is, that's interesting. And because science is the idea of expanding knowledge, expanding understanding, and when we have something that's not expected, we're trying to grow from that. We're then trying to understand what happened. Why didn't it go to the way we hypothesized? Why didn't the procedure go the way we thought it would? I was kind of debating if I was going to get into this this week, but I think I kind of will. One of the ways it makes this discussion with faith and science so difficult is, as a scientist, we're told to try to reduce variables so that we know what we're testing for. So if you're doing a test on, say, a specific fish species, and we're looking at the pH of water, so how acidic or basic is the water, and how does that affect the fish? Well, it's actually a probably a big subject right now. As climate change is rising, you have more carbon going into the water, which makes it more acidic. Is that hard on fish species? Which species? Fish species are more tolerant than others. You're going to then have multiple tanks with different pHs. And so you're going to repeat the test as much as you can and trying to limit as many of other variables so that we can say, okay, this type of fish species does better with pH. This one's more sensitive to it. That's the idea of science. Limit variables. And that's where If you look back into the stuff I sent out last week, when you're looking at discussions and conclusions, that's what's so important to scientists. Because discussions, we can start to discuss and talk about different things that maybe need further study. Or maybe was a variable that I didn't intend until I was thinking about the data that maybe could have snuck in. Trying to eliminate these variables. The problem with having a test to find support for the evidence of God or to disprove God is as we know, God is everything and everything around us that he has control. How do you limit God down to a single variable? You can't. That's what makes it so amazing and so difficult for science to ever put a coat on and being able to say this is God. So how does this all relate back to the passages we have? I think out of the gospel reading, in my opinion, Mark's gospel in this spot makes a very distinct move. The disciples are being sent and are being told that they are doing remarkable healing from last week. And then we get into the story of John the baptizer being killed. This is a major transition. This is God saying, my plan is with this man. We're moving beyond what John the Baptizer did. John the Baptizer was leading to this moment. This is, for God, this is the perfect hypothesis. This is this is exactly the way it's supposed to go. This is a eureka moment. To the rest of the Christian society, as they heard about this, I could easily see how a person would be saying, What? What am I supposed to do? I thought John the Baptizer was the guy. I know there was some kind of interaction between him and Jesus. I don't know what to think about this. I could easily see someone going through that. God still had a plan. We look at Amos and think about it in our Christian walk. We're being called to do different things. And here he has Amizla, I think is his name. Again, correct me. 
Somebody sent me a, a message telling me how to pronounce that. Standing in the way, saying, no, you gotta flee Judah. You're not supposed to be here. This is, this is not what you're being called to do. And he's saying, no, I am a shepherd. I'm not any special prophet, but I'm being told to go to the people of Israel. This is a typical person. This is a farmer. Again, showing one, that God can work with any of us. And two, that when God is calling you to do something, you don't let something just stand in your way, no matter how difficult. But that's where I think the beauty of the alternative first reading is here. God has a plan. His plan is to move the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And someone disrupts the plan that God had. Did it fully disrupt God's plan? No. Was it a hiccup? Yes. Did God's plan still happen? Yes. Did the people of Israel suffer from that? We don't know. Because at times we don't know what the whole mind of what God is doing is. Which is just hard to think about at times. You know, for me, part of why I do this is for me to have something that I'm chronologing of how I'm walking through faith. And how I'm going through this, if I'm able to help people comprehend how science and faith can come together, I see that as a benefit. But it is as much for the people listening as it is for me. And I look at in the history of science, one of them who I wish he would have done that is Nikola Tesla. If you know Nikola Tesla, brilliant mind, powered the World's Fair in Chicago, He was the inventor of alternating current, which every home uses now, instead of Thomas Edison's direct current. One of the things that Tesla had at least said he had figured out was he had plans to power the World's Fair in Paris four years later, and he was going to do it wirelessly. Now, granted, this is the beginning of the 20th century. This is like, I want to say it's 1908 is the World's Fair in Paris. And he was going to power it by Niagara Falls in New York. He was going to send that power wirelessly across the Atlantic. His major bunder at that time was J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan also had major investment in coal. When J.P. Morgan figured out what Tesla was doing, he pulled his funding, which kind of killed the plan. People have tried going back through the notes of Tesla, and I would assume because of this type of experience of how we're trained, we are told when you are studying to become a scientist to write everything down, to not cross stuff out, to kind of just be able to see where your headspace is so that if something tragically happens to you, that someone can try picking up where you left off for the advancement of understanding. Tesla didn't do that. Tesla only would write down about half his stuff, have other things kind of tucked away in his head on purpose because he was afraid of people stealing his notes and stealing his ideas. But that also meant when we lost Tesla, we lost major sections of notes. People have gone back, looked at diagrams, tried figuring out stuff, and there's just so much missing. They can't figure out what he was doing. Did he actually have it or was he off? People don't know. It draws the intrigue with them, but it's kind of a sad story because we aren't able to move it forward. We weren't able to see what the plan that Tesla had was. And I can find some stuff and send put in the links below on Tesla. 
fascinating man. It's the whole, one of the major reasons that Elon Musk named his company after Tesla was one, he was fascinating, but two, it's his technology with current that's powering these vehicles. Really interesting stuff. So when we look at this, as we proceed forward, we have to realize that God has a plan. And God's plan is going to happen. We can make obstacles, but God's plan is still going to happen. And it's the question of, are you going to let yourself be a vessel to help God's plan happen? That's the true question. As we are firm in our faith, that's, I think, the question that, that really then starts moving us forward. Is, are you going to let God's plan work through you? Because he has a plan a huge master plan and he has a part cut out for you in it which is awesome he's just like a boss if you're not willing to participate he knows you he'll know if you're going to come around to it like jonah or if he knows if you're going to totally abandon the faith like lucifer and if you totally abandon it he'll figure out some other person to fill that role it might mean that we have to wait for an extended period of time for his plan to still happen but it still does That's the amazing thing with God. And that's where we get to the point where science can't explain them. Science deals with simple variables and we try to limit variables and God doesn't play that way. I won't attach it below, but I ended up watching a documentary. I'm fairly confident it came out of the UK. And it was definitely a man of science who was questioning lots of different things with science. Found some interesting people to interview. Brought up some interesting questions. But as a person of faith, we have to understand that God is so much bigger than just our understanding. And when people are seeing what looks like the church is evolving or changing its stance on something, I don't see it that way. I see it as we are starting to understand more of God. Science does the same stuff all the time. Science, you develop a hypothesis You test that hypothesis, it becomes a theory like we've talked about before. But if something else comes out that makes more sense, as long as you can have solid support behind it, the other theory will be looked at less and less. Our understanding of God evolves just like our understanding of science in all fields continues to evolve. To give you another example of that in the science field, and I'll see if I can find the video on it, L-Timers. There's been some preliminary studies that would totally change our whole idea of Alzheimer's. And from what I was understanding with it, we've been attacking its Alzheimer's, how we've been diagnosing it is that there's plaques in the brain which are causing problems for us with our recall, that they kind of make blockages that we just can't get through. And so we've spent years now trying to figure out how do we prevent or slow down or loosen up these blockages so that the brain can function. And there's some, again, very early research. Still needs a lot more testing to really develop it into more, from a hypothesis into a, more of a solid theory and that it's actually a viral infection. And one of the, the major side effect of this viral infection are these plaques. So we've been dealing with something that's already been slowly destroying the brain. So when we're trying to work with this solution, the problem was something else. We're transforming and coming around to a whole 
opening up ourselves to a new understanding of Alzheimer's. When we look at, as for me being an ELCA Lutheran, we see the, the changes of God, the different characters of God in the Old and New Testament. And as we're digging in with science, and as we're coming to these new realizations, we are understanding more and more of the character of God. It's not that God's changing. It's that our understanding of God is changing. It's not that God is changing. It's that our understanding of God is changing. And I realize that I'm still fairly young, but the thing I realize, the thing I pray and hope that my whole life, and I will wrestle with it probably my whole life long, is understanding that change is good. Change is okay. We learn from the past, but we still have to be open to change. We've talked about in this podcast before, like when Copernicus made the earth-shattering idea that the sun was the center of our solar, well, he said universe, but our solar system instead of the earth. And we had great scholars deny it. We had the church deny it. Can't be. Scripture doesn't say that. And I don't feel like in a lot of congregations now, four or five hundred years later, this is earth-shattering stuff. That's going to halt the congregation because we've wrapped our head around it now. We understand that that's okay. Our understanding of the character of God evolved a little bit so that not that we're changing our stance, that we're understanding God just a little bit more, a little bit. That's what science to me does is all these different stuff is to help us understand God just a little bit more. God in the gospel text of Mark trying to make from us beyond this side of the cross a big red arrow pointing to Jesus. It's not John the baptizer. He was the introductory act to the main show. He was to get you ready. He was to get the people going. Get them in the right mindset. Get them moving. You look at Amos. What is it telling us to do? He calls regular people. He calls regular people. He's got big plans for you. For me, for all of us, as a church and as an individual, he has big plans. And you just got to, at times, push through the obstacles that are telling you no. If you really feel that God is telling you to do that. We have then even in the alternative first reading, when obstacles come, when things happen and God says stop, that doesn't mean stop forever. It says it's just not the right time. You're not ready to understand this new part of me. We can think about it in the aspect of the Holy Spirit wasn't given to us the moment that Adam was there. It wasn't. It was given to us after the death of Jesus. Were we ready for the Holy Spirit to be there? No, we weren't. It was all a timing thing, just like an experiment. If you put, mix certain stuff too early, it doesn't work. Think about hunting. You get too loud too early, the deer will run. Your game will run. Game over. No pun intended, but pun intended. We see that in life. There's lots of timing. And God is talking to us here about timing just as much. In the Ephesians reading, we get this nice welcome, possibly from Paul. We're not 100% sure. That how God wants to use us. And it kind of is even reflected somewhat in the psalm too. He's there. He's working with us. Just let him work. So I know that's kind of a very much more ominous type of feel to this, more of a thought game type of example. 
But that's part of science too, is kind of going through even a thought process of how do we process this. And that God's plan and our plan, we may not understand God's plan, but he still has a plan. So the Twitter question that I would have for you for this week is, is God calling you to do something no matter how difficult it may appear? And if so, what do you feel that is? For me, one of the things that I know he's calling me to do is this podcast. No matter how difficult it is on a week-to-week basis to sit down and try working through these and thinking about it from a science context and even the questions in my head of how many people are listening, what's the reach, what's the impact. And like I stated, this is as much for me as I hope it is for you guys also. I hope this is something that's beneficial for you guys to help you wrap your head around these big topics of science and faith that are challenging us in the world today. But what are your big things that God is calling you to do and the obstacles that may be feeling like they're in the way that you have to get through, kind of like Amos or in 2 Samuel with David and the moving of the Ark of the Covenant or the beheading of John the Baptist, one of the leaders of the Christian or the Judean faith at that time. These are big changes. But we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.